Welcome to Enter Sandman Sports Psychology Discussions, Episode 4. Today I'm lucky to be joined by a professional in the sports psychology field, Kelsey Roofing. Kelsey is the owner and founder of Kelsey Roofing Counseling. Uh, she's currently finishing up a doctorate degree at Adler University in Chicago after getting those first three masters. And we'll get into the licenses and education in a little bit. But Kelsey, I'm really excited to have you on today just to take us through uh, your interests in the field, the research you're currently doing, what it looks like for you to work with athletes and clients on a day-to-day basis. So getting right into it, I would love to get your story on how you got into this profession uh, and how the experiences you've gone through have gotten you to where you are right now as both a student and a professional. Wow. <laughs> Jam-packed question. So um, I guess, you know, what got me here was I originally um, – went to school for communications. I actually wanted to be on ESPN. Of course, we all do. <laughs> uh, yeah. Every athlete's dream is to be a professional athlete or be on ESPN. So I, well, I guess going back as a child, I played sports all year round. I played softball, basketball, soccer. Eventually I had to choose between softball and soccer. So I chose soccer and that was kind of always my one true love. Um, and Gosh, when I was maybe 15, 15, 16, 17, I tore my ACL three times. So I've had three ACL replacements um, at how a far, pretty young like, age. How far in between was each of those? So it was 2000, I'm going to really age myself here, 2004, 5, and 7. Okay. Wow, okay. Yeah, and I graduated high school in 2008. So... Pretty much my whole high school career was just plagued by injury. Um, I had a really great season my junior year before I tore my third ACL. I had um, done a lot of training. I had a personal trainer. I packed on like 15 pounds of muscle. I was like in great shape. Um, And had a great season, probably the best season I've ever played had a lot of confidence and then that third ACL happened at the end of that season and totally just took me out. Um, the first two ACL tears, I, I was kind of in this like mode of, all right, let's do what we have to do. I want to get back to playing. Like all that matters is playing. Mm-hmm. And then the third one I think was just really devastating because I was at such a high when it happened. Um, I didn't have the same kind of progress with the surgery and recovery as I had previously and I really contribute that to my emotional state at the time I just wasn't as motivated um, felt pretty depressed which I didn't really realize was depression at the time um, and after that third one you know I still had my senior season the next year and I was cleared to play physically I packed my bag up for tryouts and after school I just got in my car and drove home and just thought I can't do this so I like ended my career kind of on a whim there. And then that was like a whole nother set of issues, right? Cause mm-hmm. now you're not really an athlete that's actively playing. And I didn't really know who I was without sport. And I really didn't know what else I was good at. I mean, I, I took a lot of journalism classes and I was like the sports editor of the newspaper and um, kind of threw myself into journalism with sport and that's why I chose communications going into um, my undergrad. So I went to East Carolina for my undergraduate and um, majored in communications. After that first year I actually took an internship at um, the Trenton Thunder which is the AA affiliate for the New York Yankees. Yep. 
and um, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia or outside of Philadelphia in the suburbs. So that to me was very close. And it was a great, it was a great year. I loved the internship. Um, I kind of was doing all kinds of things. So from running on the field with the tarp when it rained, uh, <laughs> to selling merchandise, to kind of getting people involved in games, uh, just watching the crowd. And, you enjoyed the tarp? Um, no. There were a couple <laughs> times where I forgot like pairs of shoes to bring or clothes to bring, and so then you're just like wet and dirty the whole rest of the time. I was gonna say, as a as a D three baseball player, I can tell you the tarp is no fun. No. There was one time a girl actually. We were all running, and they say if you trip and fall, you just stay down. And there, a girl did. She tripped and fell, and she stayed down, and she was under the tarp. It would have been my worst nightmare. But <laughs> it rained more that year than I think it ever has. So yeah, that's that's classic. Yeah. So when I was on an internship, heading in one direction, I actually saw somebody who was sitting with some players um, behind the. Um, behind the plate and I just thought wow that guy looks really important like who is he that he gets to sit with them and talk with them you know and so I asked someone like who's that guy and they had said he's the Yankee sports psychologist and at that time gosh I don't know that was like what 2009 maybe um, sports psychology was just kind of coming up and I had no clue what the heck that meant, but it sounded really great. Yes. Um, and it sounded like something that I really would relate to. So when I was, um, you know, in my undergrad and seeing athletes get hurt, whether that was at East Carolina on TV or just professional athletes on TV, I felt so much empathy for them and just could feel that, wow, that's going to be a struggle or, you know, how difficult that would be. And I just thought that was more the psychology part coming in. Um, so I, I introduced myself to him um, one day at the field and just said, like, what do you do? How do I do this? And he told me his background and how he got involved with psychology as a major. Um, and basically some steps to take. So I went back to school my sophomore year, maybe, yeah, and changed my major to uh, psychology, so BA in psychology and then a minor in sports studies, which had a sports psychology class. Okay. Yeah, so I, um, that's how I really got started. Um, and then, of course, after that degree, I looked at sports psychology programs for graduate degrees, and... Again, at that time, it was 2012 and not many programs. Um, so there was one that I thought was really interesting, and that was Adler University, yeah. where I graduated from. Um, and that was actually a counseling degree, a master's in counseling, with an emphasis in sport and health psychology. Um, I know a lot of people go the kinesiology route. The reason why I picked counseling was, okay, you know, if I had to fall back on something, I can fall back on counseling as a career. Um, and also, as a like mental skills coach, when you have a kinesiology degree, you don't necessarily get licensed in counseling. And if an athlete is having issues with anxiety, depression, and eating disorders, you have to refer out, right? Because you're just working with them to enhance their game. Um, with my specific degree, I can work with them to enhance their performance, but I also can work with them with a lot of things that are 
clinically affecting them. So you did so you did the counseling with emphasis in sport and psychology, and then also you got your degree, your master's in clinical psychology. Is that at the same time? Yeah, so it's, um, oh, well, no, not really. So I did get my master's in clinical psychology because I ended up working, um, so I graduated 2014 with that sports master's. Mm -hmm. I worked for two years in the field because with um, the licensure you get, you're in Illinois, you're a licensed professional counselor, mm -hmm. and you need to get two years of basically hours, clinical hours, to then become a licensed clinical professional counselor, okay. which is what my license is now. And that actually took me almost three years to get. Um, so I had decided in 2016 to go back to school for my doctorate in clinical psychology okay. um, with an emphasis in primary care behavioral medicine. So I made that decision to go back to school. And so along the way with, with that doctoral degree is when I got the master's in clinical psychology. Because okay. after two years, it's you just get that master's anyway. So Okay, so that came with when you went back for doctorate. So tell me a little bit more about when you went back for your doctorate degree and then also when you got your master's in clinical psychology. Like what? Why did you decide to do that with the route you were going? Yeah, so this is kind of another path, I guess, I took that relates back to sports psych, but um, at the time I was in my master's degree at Adler with the sport and health psychology. Um, it was that first year, because it's a two-year program, um, that my grandmother got diagnosed with leukemia. So uh, she had melanoma, she had breast cancer, and then 10 years later she was diagnosed with leukemia. And obviously this is really devastating to our family. And I feel like the way that I handle situations that are quite devastating is what can I do to make a positive out of this or what can I do to help the situation? Um, because it's a helpless situation, right? Yeah. I mean, it's totally outside of anybody's control. So. Um, my family and I really got into um, supporting my grandmother in ways of like raising money and running 5Ks and you know making t-shirts and um, with that diagnosis we talked all the time, me and her, about basically like resiliency. At the time I didn't realize what that was but um, you know she was always so positive and never complained about anything that was going on with her physically and um, she had a great support network lots of friends obviously her family was behind her and we would read like Silver Linings playbook together from mm -hmm. afar you know she was at UPenn for her treatments I was in Chicago and she really was intrigued by all the things I was learning in my program so I was trying to also bring those things to her such as like imagery and positive psychology and it was interesting because she was at UPenn and the founder of Positive Psychology, you know, is actually um, a professor at UPenn. So oh, that <laughs> that's out. where that came out from. So um, my decision to go back to school was really influenced by her um, and what was going on with her because I became interested in the health aspect of my degree, which was chronic pain and chronic illness. So um, she really inspired me to dive into the cancer part of things um, and helping people adjust to their diagnosis and helping people overcome their diagnosis 
um, because we know that the mind and body work together, yeah. you know, exclusively. So um, I just kind of really wanted to make a difference in that way. So what I didn't realize though is that my sports psychology career would really flourish from going back. So um, she actually just passed away this January um, and she had a bone marrow transplant gosh six plus years ago so we we actually got her for a, a lot longer than the doctors thought we would have her for yeah, um, thanks awesome. to that donor um, and she actually passed from unrelated circumstances then you know she overcame the leukemia and um, she actually got graft versus host disease which contributed to a lot of her other physical issues but um, I actually was at an advanced practicum site for my doctoral program at the University of Chicago Medical mm -hmm. Center and um, worked with cancer patients, specifically leukemia patients, actually during the, that past year. So um, it was really interesting because I was utilizing a lot of the sports psychology aspects with patients. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people look at sports psychology and just think athletes, but I mean, it really goes to whole wide array of anybody that's trying to overcome the situation um, you know doctors included with the pandemic a lot of nurses and doctors and medical staff are having issues with their performance um, that they can't really stray from at this time so like the skills that I have as that kind of uh, therapist really help a lot of people and I didn't realize that until actually getting into my doctoral program yeah, when I when people you know ask me to explain sports psychology, I usually kind of take away this the word sport and just explain it as like performance psychology, yeah. and really that I'm just trying we're trying to help anybody who's really dealing with something where they need like they need to overcome something they need to perform in some way, whether that's test taking or you know cancer treatments or sports as a whole. But so really your career and the reason why you started getting into this field and I've gone down different paths or really from personal experiences with your own injury you mentioned um, didn't realize that you were kind of going through a little bit of depression kind of a loss of identity with not being an athlete anymore and then obviously uh, your grandmother so your emphasis you, you know talk about pain and illness and sport injury so you went through this all these different um, all these different paths to get where you are now and then you now you're doing research kind of going back into each of those so tell me about some of the research you're doing right now yeah, so I'm, I'm still finishing my doctoral degree. I have a year left, um, and you know, with that comes a dissertation. So my dissertation is actually specifically geared towards female ACL tears okay. and the emotional recovery and the process with identity that goes with that because we, this is like very untouched territory, especially with females because usually sport is really geared towards male and research and obviously like social with, with TV and stuff. Um, yeah. Male sports are just more dominant, but female ACL tears are super prevalent. I mean, over the years, it's just actually gotten, gotten worse. They've increased dramatically. And now females are actually at a two to 10 times more likelihood to have an ACL tear than, than males. And that's, you know, for different reasons, hormonal reasons, bone structure reasons, um, you know, muscle, how strong your muscle is. And um, women actually don't do as much weight training. And I think, I think sports programs are now trying to look more into that as prevention, but 
you know, just genetic wise, that's how we're predispositioned as women. So, um, obviously it can be a, a career ending injury and a very serious one mentally. And, um, I just really thought that my dissertation should come back to sport, um, because that's obviously what I identify with the most. And yeah. So with that research is just starting to get going, um, with the, the part that I'm excited about is this identity loss and reformation because there is something that happens with someone's identity when they go through injury. And a lot of people don't see that right away. Um, but especially for people who over identify as an athlete or just um, seriously identify as an athlete, it's very hard to, to reshape your life without sport. Um, so that research is a qualitative approach. So it's basically interviewing female athletes who have had ACL tears. They tell their story about how that's happened. And, and what we're really coming up with is the research is actually showing that um, it takes five plus years for an athlete who's had a severe traumatic injury to reshape their identity. So that's, wow. that's time lost. Is that know? including athletes who return to sport? Um, it's not. So this is specifically looking at athletes who have not returned okay. or, um, you know, and returned as a player. They can return as coaches, but it's still very different. Yeah, that makes um, sense. And that research is coming out of UIC, actually. Um, my dissertation is coming off of a research project that um, Professor and Dr. John Kuhn Lilly is doing. Um, and he's, he's great. Um, his research is looking at the emotional recovery um, and grief after severe sport injury. And that's males, females, and athletes that are participating in Olympic type, type sports, um, 18 and older. But his research is really profound as well. I mean, he's looking at the Kubler-Ross model of grief and how that does not apply to athletes. And really, when you look in textbooks for sports psychology, that's what they will talk about. Yeah. Um, and he's really finding some, some great stuff that's going against what's really being taught in the field. So. I think grief is another point though. We don't talk about sport injury in the form of grief. And that's what I find with a lot of my chronic pain, chronic illness clients is that this identity part of I've lost my identity and I've lost so many things. I've lost friends, I've lost jobs, I've lost my um, you know, significant other because of chronic pain or injury or illness. And it's grief, it's all grief. So. Um, the whole point of, of the research is to come up with better programs and better skills that can be utilized um, to help people better manage these things. It seems like grief can kind of get overlooked because it's like you get hurt and it's, you know, surgery or rest recovery and then you're trying to get in rehab to get back to sport right away. But for the people who aren't going to return to sport, when the, really the only emphasis is getting back to it, they kind of lose, they don't have any structure to go back on. So are you, when you um, tore your ACL the third time mm -hmm. and you mentioned that you didn't really think of it as a depression or loss of at the time, when did you realize, was it when you got into sports psychology, or when did you realize that those were kind of underlying factors in your life at the time that you weren't really, I guess not paying attention to, but weren't really addressing? Um, 
I would say it wasn't until my master's program because when you enter a graduate program in psychology, you're forced to look at your whole life yeah. <laughs> and kind of pick it apart and divulge it and go to your own therapy and just different things we were learning. I was like, wow, you know, that was me or I did have that, you know, symptom and wow, that did look like depression. So it wasn't until years and years later that I figured that out and was able to actually really um, hone in on it and, and work on it because there were times where I was thinking about my dissertation that I couldn't write at all. And I was, this is something I'm really passionate about. I should be able to write about it. And I couldn't find myself in the space to write about it because there were still some things that I was holding on to. And I had mentioned to my dissertation chair at one point, I just feel like my career is the comeback of my injuries. And he was like, whoa, <laughs> um, that's deep. That's pretty profound. Um, and it's true because when you're an athlete, you're, you're working towards that next like championship, that next like season, right? To be this kind of amazing athlete. And when you don't have sport to do that, the next thing you have is a career. So, yeah. um, you know, not everybody can get to that point. I think a lot of people get stuck. And again, I think back on my life and I've realized that I've tried to take these, I don't want to say weaker moments, but these maybe flawed moments and make them into strengths. And that's kind of the philosophy I work off of as a professional is, hey, let me help you take this really devastating part of your life and help work with it to make you better in the process, right? Mm -hmm. To make it work for you. Yeah, it's funny when you say that you in your master's program, you get sort of forced to look back at your life, your career, whatnot. And, you know, in my first year last year, there's so many times where we would, especially when we talked about uh, injury, it was, you know, when I was playing in undergrad, you always wonder, like, the guys who have a torn UCL or, you know, they're out for months, you know, they're just standing on the side. They're, just, they're staying in the dugout with three coats on because it's snowing. And I always wondered, you know, why are they like, why are they out here? Like they can't play. I mean, I appreciate, you know, the teammates support, but like then when you realize now thinking about it, like the loss of identity or like just wanting to be around like your friends even though you can't compete with them, it, it makes total sense. And so I've been slowly picking up things that happened throughout my, you know, like childhood or high school, college career. Where it's like, oh, that's, you know, I was lucky not having injuries, but that's why so-and-so did that. Or that's why, that's why they were always just there. Even though they weren't going to play for a year and a half, so yeah. Well, and a big piece of that is social support. So you're an athlete. Most of your friends are athletes, right? Yeah. Like your team is kind of family. And what I'm seeing with the injured athletes and their stories is that okay, my social support's gone, right? A lot of times, the coaches aren't paying attention to them and their progress and their injury and recovery because there's other athletes who are playing that they're paying more attention to, um, and one of the bigger things that they're missing is coach support, um, athletic training support, and friend support. So they, even if they have a large group of friends around them, they're like, yeah, but they don't understand. So unless they have another athlete that is also injured simultaneously with them, they don't feel supported. So how can we work with that? How can we kind of fix that? And that brought me back to myself again, because when I, when I tore my second and third ACLs, I also had a, um, I had a teammate who I played travel soccer with who also tore two ACLs simultaneously. And we actually had the same surgeon. Wait, she had both their ACL, like 
right and left at the same time? No, it was when I did my oh, two okay. and then she did her two. And <laughs> it's like, wow. We did them at the same times over two years. But uh, we had the same surgeon and we did physical therapy together. We would plan days to go together. So having that kind of support was definitely, you know, way more beneficial than having that. Yeah, that makes, I mean, and it, those, you notice the little things thinking back on it. Like, wow, they, you know, they have to go 30 minutes early to go see the athletic trainer when the other three housemates are going to take a car together to practice. And then they're going to meet us out there and watch us practice. Right. And it's the little things you don't think about at the end. It kind of piles up and kind of becomes an issue for them. So yeah. that's awesome. So you mentioned working with clients. So you have your own practice now, um, Kelsey Roofing Counseling. How has that been? You opened it in August of 2019? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how's that been for you? Um, you know, having your own practice and doing your own thing? Um, the best decision of my life. <laughs> okay. And it took a lot to get here, right? So we're talking from 2014 to 2019. So um, I think... Wait, sorry, real quick. How, so how many other count, like counseling services, how, how many places did you work before this? Because yeah, you have like like, a, lot. <laughs> a couple, three yeah. masters, working on a doctorate, yeah. and then working couple different like hospitals and working with a bunch of different counseling clinics so off the top of your head do you know how many you worked for with before mm -hmm. you got to opening your own yeah so I think professionally um, I would say I think three different private practices maybe four three or four um, and then you know academically having to do practicums and internships and all of that is where the hospitals came into play yeah um, so a bunch, <laughs> which is great, right? Like all the experience has really enabled me to feel confident in what I'm doing and, and to look at private practice and say, hey, I could be doing that. Mm -hmm. um, of course, you need the clinical license to do that, Yeah. Um, which is why it also takes so long. But no, I wouldn't suggest somebody just hop into private practice when they get that either because there's a lot that goes into having your private practice and feeling clinically able to do that. But it's been obviously wonderful because I can work during my doctorate um, on my own. So that's my own schedule, which is great. But I never found that the practices I worked at, I mean, they were supportive of my degree, um, but they just, they really needed me to, to treat everyone. And, you know, there's some things that I'm not really into treating. You have your populations you would rather be working with and, you know, feel more interested in. And, with my own practice, I really wanted to focus on my specialties, which is the chronic pain, chronic illness, and sport injury. And um, I was kind of able to do that right off the bat. That's how I marketed myself, so I could market myself however I wanted to. It wasn't hard to find a, an office space. It wasn't hard to, to set up my website. I mean, all those things took a little bit of time, but kind of learned as I went. And I think people that are looking to do this job, um, you just need to talk to professionals in the field. Like everything that I learned was just by bothering people <laughs> really <laughs> on LinkedIn and email and you know, but not everyone decides to go into private practice either, but it has been really beneficial for, for a lot of different reasons. So I can see who I want and now with the pandemic, everything's virtual and that makes it a little bit easier, but um, it took a lot of time and a lot of different experiences to get would you, would you say it's, you know, what you thought of and what you wanted when you started it? No. <laughs> um, well, when I started in the in the field, I didn't see myself. I mean, that was such a long shot to, to have your own private practice. But I think when you start out wanting to 
to do mental skills and wanting to um, do sports psychology, it sounds great, but nobody tells you how to get there. I mean, your your program never tells you from a business side, you know, how do I actually do this thing? Um, and I think that goes for psychology in general. You kind of leave your programs feeling like, okay, well, I guess I'll get a job now, but you don't know what to look for pay-wise. You don't know what to look for license-wise. And sports psychology was one of those things when I really started out. It, you didn't need your... Um, you know, sports psychology certification through ASP. You didn't need that. And I think now you might. I'm not really sure. I don't have it, but it's not something that, um, you know, I've actually needed to this point. So if you're looking to, to do the kind of work, you really have to decide, okay, well, do I want to be maybe with a college and doing that? Do I want to do, do things on my own so I can do them on my own? I mean, I didn't actually start really getting into um, – the sports psychology clinical aspect of working with people until my own practice because I was limited elsewhere. So when you finish up, you still have a year left for your doctoral program. When you finish that up, how is that? How will your um, own practice change with you having finished your doctoral program? You know, I actually don't see it changing much. Um, I did think when I when I went to go get my doctorate, I thought I'm going to get a doctorate. Yes, because of the health stuff, but also because people take that more seriously. I, I wanted more education. I wanted more research knowledge um, and experience. And um, gosh, within the first year of my doctoral program, I learned way more than I had in my master's program. So I, it was worth it. It's been worth it. But as far as my practice, um, I just think learning, you know, keep learning the skills, keep expanding skills and and experience and you learn from every single thing you do so I don't think the practice will change much except growing I'd love to hire some people um, within the next year um, so in, in that aspect growth wise that's awesome to hear and where so where can we find you where's your office website how can anyone get in contact with you yeah so my practice is Kelsey Roofing Counseling I'm physically located in Bloomingdale, Illinois. It's the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Um, but we are doing virtual appointments, 100% telehealth right now. Um, so that's easy. <laughs> and you can find me at www.kelseyroofingcounseling.com. And that's roofing, R-U-F-F-I-N-G. And you can reach me via email at kelsey at kelseyroofingcounseling.com. Well, Kelsey, I, I really appreciate so much you coming on today and just talking through the career and your path and how you got to where you are now, what you're doing. I think it's awesome to, you know, obviously highlight um, sports psychology and everything. You're seeing that a lot more in professional sports, people um, ending the stigma is kind of what people are saying, just talking about it more. So I really appreciate getting your insight as both a doctoral student, but also more importantly a professional. So thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it.